take your Bibles and turn to the book of Habakkuk as we continue to work through the minor prophets and remind you they're not minor because of their message, they're minor because of their time frame. We're going to be in Habakkuk. I mentioned a few weeks ago how much I love this book and uh, you're going to find out how much. Hopefully you're going to find out why, uh, but we're, we're going to be in this book for a few weeks. Uh, this week and next week we're going to talk about this topic, fi- uh, facing doubts and finding faith. And I split this into two because I didn't want to have to rush through. The, these first two chapters of the book of Habakkuk are uh, really, we, we have a lot to glean from those. Uh, this is a prophet of God who is going through a period of doubt based on the circumstances that he finds himself in. And so he questions God. There, there are two questions. Uh, we're gonna, there's actually a lot of questions. We're going to boil them down into two questions. Two primary questions that he asks, and then there's two responses that God gives. And so this week we'll deal with question one and answer one, and then next week we'll deal, Lord willing, with question two and answer two. Um, Just as we had talked about several weeks ago, uh, the duality of God, uh, sometimes we struggle to deal with the fact that God is wrath and he is love at the same time. Uh, Also, one of the things we struggle with is trying to figure out um, why God is doing some of the things that he's doing. If, if we have a sovereign God, and we do, that means that everything that our, that our paths cross, everything that we experience in this world, is either initiated or allowed by the sovereign God of the universe. So sometimes we struggle with that. And if we're being honest, I think all of us have been at points in our lives where we have doubted the goodness of God, doubted the operation of God, doubted the purposes of God. We, we just have doubts. We struggle. Uh, and that's okay. I want to remind you today that God is big enough to deal with your doubts. Your doubts don't intimidate our God. You can bring those doubts to him, and that's exactly what we see the prophet do. Uh, his name actually means to embrace or to wrestle, Habakkuk. To wrestle or to embrace, and that's really what we see him doing in this book. He wrestles with God over what God is doing in his life and in his world in his community, but ultimately he embraces the promises of God even when he can't understand the ways of God. Now, Spurgeon had a great quote, and I don't know if he was preaching through Habakkuk when he, when he wrote this or when he said this, but he could have been. And here's what he says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And, and I think that when we think about Habakkuk as we work through it over the next few weeks, I think we'll all come to this same conclusion as Spurgeon writes here, that, that we're not always going to be able to understand exactly why God is doing, exactly what purposes he has in the things that we're going through, but we have to be able to trust him. We have to do that thing we talked about two weeks ago, rely on faith. And, and by the way, let me just say thank you to Austin and our team for doing a great job filling in last week. I'm not, I'm not saying that it really did me good to be away from, for a weekend, but I wrote more sermons last week than I wrote last month. Just saying. Now, sometimes when we go through difficulties, the tendency is, again, to doubt. Uh, The tendency is to want to give up. The tendency is to to get angry with God, to get frustrated with God. And and while it is true, I I don't remember where I saw this. It's probably on Facebook. Everything happens for a reason, dot, dot, dot. And then it said, sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make terrible life choices. And I I don't know that I've ever identified with a... a, (laughs) with a a saying more than that in my life. 
yes, I know that everything happens for a reason, and sometimes that reason is I am stupid and I make terrible life choices. Sometimes you may be the person who's trying to do the right thing and somebody else close to you is stupid and makes terrible life choices, and that brings you into pain or discomfort or suffering. Everything is happening in your life is there for a reason. There's a purpose in it. And, and I hope that when we look at this, we can see that, that God had a purpose in some terrible things that happened in the lives of the Jews of Habakkuk's day. And he has purpose in our lives today, even though sometimes we have to go through struggles to see it. Uh, he begins his book with the same kind of concept that we saw in Nahum a few weeks ago. He says the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. And that word pronouncement in the Hebrew is masal, and it means uh, an utterance, a doom utterance, really. Uh, it's basically a weighty, heavy prophecy. And we see that in uh, Isaiah 13.1, Jeremiah 18.18, 18, Ezekiel 12.10, Nahum 1.1, 1, 1, Zechariah 9.1, Malachi 1.1. 1, 1. All of these are places where the prophet begins or at some point in what they're sharing, they say this word, this masal, which is a heavy, burdensome message, he knew that what he was saying was weighty. Now, while Nahum's message was weighty because God was going to exact uh, punishment onto the Ninevites, Habakkuk's message is weighty because God is going to bring the, the Babylonians in to punish Jude, Judah. So there's a heaviness to the message. He was going to prophesy about the Babylonian Empire coming through and taking them out, taking them captive. So he, he, again, he asked several questions. We're going to boil those down to two, one this week and one next week. I want to look at those questions. I want to see how God responds. And, and here's what I want us to do. We're not going to be able to identify with Habakkuk as far as God bringing in a foreign nation to exact punishment upon us. I hope. <laughs> I hope that I'm not being a prophet up here, you know, and not knowing it. Here's what I want us to do. What is it in my life? What, what, what is it that I am facing or that I'm going through? Again, Everybody in here, we are in one of three categories. There is no other category. You were either in a storm, you were either coming out of a storm, or you're going into a storm. So that's it. There's, there's, no, like, there's no frame of reference for us to just say, you know what, I've never had a problem. And I'm going to live my whole life and I'm never going to have a problem. I'm never going to have a difficulty. So what I want us to do is think about what is it that we can take from what Habakkuk is saying and the questions he's asking and the answers God's given him and how can we apply that to our lives and see places in our lives that maybe we have questions similar to what Habakkuk is asking, and maybe we can hear God's voice today speak clarity into our doubtful hearts. So let me pray to that end. Father, I pray that you today would do what only you can do, that you would take this wonderful word of yours and that you would help us to understand it more fully, apply it more completely so that we can serve you with everything that we have. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be near the brokenhearted today. I pray that you would speak peace into the trouble that some are going through. And most of all, I pray that you would be glorified because you're worthy. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the question one, and we're not going to stand and read because we're going to kind of jump around, but question one, he basically says, why are you indifferent? And, and I'm going to read the first or two, three, and four so we see the, the list of questions. But he says in, in verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Pause. So I, I think if we're all being honest, we have at some point in our lives, and if you haven't yet, man, praise the Lord. <laughs> Good for you. But all of us probably have either gotten or will get to a point where we say this, 
Lord, how long must I call for help and you don't listen? Now, typically what that means is, God, you didn't do what I wanted you to do when I wanted you to do it. Now I'm mad. I'm all up in my feelings because you didn't follow what I wanted you to do. That's the wrong attitude. I hope, I hope you've kind of started to hear that and learn that. But, but I think all of us have been at a point where we're just frustrated with what seems like inactivity on behalf of the Lord. We, we think that this needs to end now. Again, the last three years of what we've gone through with Landy's health, there's been many times when I've been, listen, me and God have had some noisy conversations where I've said, God, how long? How long have I got to ask you to heal? How long have I got to ask you for relief? How long have I got to ask you for answers? And you don't listen. And God always uses his word to remind me that he is listening. You see, we assume that God is indifferent to our suffering, but sometimes God just seems silent or he seems absent when atrocities are occurring in our world and our, even especially to those that we love or even to ourselves. Habakkuk serves as a reminder that, that God is at work even if we're unable to see it. It reminded me of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The Lord speaking to Isaiah says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. Verse 9, For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is operating at a level that we can't get to. Uh, again, because he is the preexistent, and I'm going to use this, it's not really a word, but I'm going to make it one, post-eternal, because God is completely eternal. He, he always has been. That Remember we talked about two weeks ago, Yahweh, uh, the, the word they have for God, uh, Y-H-W-H. They wouldn't even say the word. They would, they would have the, the, um, the, the acronym, basically. He is the preexistent one. He, he is, I am the one that is. Uh, I am that I am. That means he is before the beginning. He is past the end. He is all of it. So he knows more than you do. Now, some of y'all, that came to a, you as a great shock today, and I apologize if you need tissues. I have some up here. God knows more than you do. God knows more than I do. God is God. What, our biggest problem, I think, that we run into is we try to get him off the throne, and we want to sit where he's supposed to sit. We say, all right, God, look, you're, you're just, we want to fire God. Can I just say it that way? I think sometimes we want to fire God. We want to say, no, you're not doing things to the, to the level and with the, with the expediency that I want, so you need to move and let me sit on that throne. And let me tell you something, that seat is never yours. If you sit in that throne, you're going to be more disappointed in you than you are in him. Sometimes we just have to be patient and wait. And that's not what we see the prophet doing. Look at verse 2 when he says, How long must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Uh, why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This sounds like 2020. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. A little hyperbolic there. Justice never emerges. Okay, never. But see, that's how we get when we're frustrated, when we're hurting, when we're tired, when we're broken. We, we, we turn into hyperbole machines. I never get anything and you never do what I want you to do and you never answer my prayers and I'm always hurting. We, 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 we tend to have that, that response. Even in this first, this first part of the question, he uses two words here that are very interesting in the Hebrew. How long must I call for help or cry out to you about violence? These are two different words. The first one, call, is shavah, and it, and it means to shout. So it's like mom or dad. And then the second one is za'ach, 
And it means to shriek from anguish or danger. So this, the first one is, Mom. The second one is, Mama! That woke some of y'all up. The first one is, Dad. And the second one is, Daddy! Now, here's what I assume here, and I think I'm right. If you are a parent, <laughs> those two sound very different to you. The second one, when I screamed out mama or daddy, you probably had on some molecular level <laughs> almost a, a response, a call to flight, like a, your, your energy level went up a little bit. Because as a parent, when we hear that shriek of cry, we hear mom, dad, we can tune that out. You know, the little cartoon kid, mom, 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 mom mother, mama, mama, mommy. But when you hear your kids scream out of anguish or, or, or they're in danger, there's a difference. You, you can recognize that. So that's the two words he uses. I call it the shout and shriek approach. Now, if I were God, and thank the Lord that I'm not, if I were God, when my prophet shouted and shrieked at me, I would squish him like a bug. Just being honest. May not sound very pastoral, but I'm just being honest. Hey, don't be hollering at me. You better get the bass out your voice when you talk to me. Right? Y'all ever been there, parents, when you're at the house and they start screaming your name? Like, I know this fool that is living under the authority that I give them, eating the food that I put on there, is not hollering at me. So that would have been my response. A call or a cry. When he cried out, when he called my name, I'd be like, okay, I hear you. And then when he shrieked my name, I'd be like, one more. We're going to need a new prophet down here. <laughs> but see, that's not what God did. Because God doesn't have the nature that I have. He, he doesn't have the flesh that I struggle with. He is perfect in all of his ways. And so the prophet is looking for an answer. He, he, he cries out, he shrieks out to God. God didn't reply with exasperation, but with explanation. So let's, let's not miss the fact that, that it's a good thing that he is who he is. And again, he needs to be on his throne. Now, before I give you the answer, we need to look at this. Verse 4, he's talking about the law and justice and the righteous. And so that can be confusing if you don't really break it down. What he's talking about here is that the righteous leaders, what were supposed to be the righteous leaders of the Israelites, of Judah and Israel, the righteous leaders that God has called them to be, they're ignoring what God has called them to do. They're ignoring how they're supposed to lead. All the way back to Exodus 23, verses 6 through 8, God gives them a clear framework of how they're to operate in religious leadership and political leadership. Civil and religious leaders are supposed to do this. He says this, You must not deny justice to a poor person among you in his lawsuit. Stay far away from false accusation. Do not kill the innocent and the just, because I will not justify the guilty. You must not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and corrupts the words of the righteous. If I could, in my authority and power, which ain't much, I would love to get all of our political leaders, both parties, by the way, let's be clear, every person who is in political office, if I could get them to just swear by and ascribe to Exodus 23, 6 through 8, we'd be in a lot better shape. But see, that's what God told them. He said, hey, you're going to be put in leadership. Here's how you to lead. Don't deny justice. Uh, stay away from false accusation. Don't kill the innocent. Don't take bribes. Do the right thing. And they had walked away from that. And this is what Habakkuk is, is shrieking about. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never merges. 
the wicked restrict the righteous and justice comes out perverted. It can sometimes seem that God isn't aware of our suffering while we're in the middle of our suffering. But here's a reminder. He's always there and he's always aware. He is not sleeping. He is not strolled away from his post. Just because you don't know what God is doing or just because you're not satisfied with how God's doing it does not mean that he is ineffective or inactive. So the question is, why are you indifferent? And here's how God answers. Look at verse 5. The answer basically is, I'm doing things that you can't fathom. It's, it's almost kind of a know your role and shut your hole kind of an answer. He's like, I hear you griping, but I'm doing stuff that you just can't process. Your, your computer ain't got a megabyte. It ain't got a kilobyte. And, and you can't figure out what I'm doing. I'm doing stuff. Look at, look at verse 5. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. He goes on to talk about raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth. He says they're fierce and terrifying. Their views of, of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. Again, sounds like our government. Their horses are swifter than leopards. He, he goes in to talk about all of the, the, the power and authority and, and scariness of this Babylonian empire. God gave answers to Habakkuk that Habakkuk did not want. But I love the way Warren Wiersbe says this. Uh, Allison, we got us some Warren Wiersbe this week. Uh, we had just talked about that last week. He says, God gave Habakkuk a revelation, not an explanation, for what we always need in times of doubt is a new view of God. Now, here's the issue that we sometimes have. We need a new view of God, but our problem many times is that we want a new God. We don't need a new God. We need a new view of God. We don't need to put somebody else on the throne, even if it's us. We need to step back and get a better look at God, and that's why God gives a revelation to Habakkuk. He says, look, I'm going to do something that is going to blow your mind, but you've got to trust me. Now, I, I want to share a quote that I shared a couple weeks ago uh, for two reasons. A, for application, because I think there's a good application for this. You're going to have to go with me to get there. But B, for repetition. We need to hear this often. Uh, we need to remind ourselves of this often. And this is a quote from Alistair Begg. When I fail to forgive someone, it's because I've exaggerated the offense against me and I have minimized my offense against God. Every sin committed, everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you you how you act and how you conduct yourself is first and foremost a sin against the holy God. Now, why does that apply to what we're talking about? Because God is sovereign. If he were not sovereign, then every sin would not be against him. But because he is sovereign, we have to continue to trust that he is in control even when he's not doing something the way we want him to do it. Here, here's a couple of statements that I want you to get. Never forget that if he is allowing it, there is a purpose in it. Now, I'm here to tell you, that's not going to absolve your pain and discomfort and doubt and struggle. It's not going to just like, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a quick fix. It's not a silver bullet. But I can promise you, I, I, can, I can testify, and April can, and I know others who have talked about it. We can, there are people who can testify that this really is big when you're trying to walk through a valley. When you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're, you're suffering, when you just try to think about if God is allowing this to happen, there is a purpose in it happening. So here's the second statement. Because if, he's, if it's a, being allowed by God, there's a purpose in it from God. So focus on finding the purpose in your pain rather than focusing on your pain. Now here's the problem. 
Pain is a noisy toddler. How many parents in the room can identify? You cannot ignore. We got one walking out now. You cannot ignore. <laughs> sorry, Cole. You cannot ignore a crying baby. Amen? How many? Well, never mind. I've been to Walmart. Some people can't ignore. I've been in restaurants. There's, I've been in restaurants, and I'm like, that poor couple is deaf. I, don't, I didn't see them signing to the waiter, so it's pretty remarkable they could get their order in, but they cannot hear that screaming child that I'm, I can't even eat my chips and salsa because I'm hearing this shrieking. Let <laughs> me go back to the other word. But for the most part, as parents, we can't ignore a screaming baby. Why? Here, I think if you study this, you'll find this. Mothers have something genetically that when you hear a screaming baby, it, it actuates that motherly instinct. Dads, we, we can kind of ignore it. <laughs> we can zone it out. No, I'm just kidding. We can't. If you love your child, when your child screams, it, it actuates something. It's a, it's a, you've got to respond. You've got to do something. And God's the same way. But, but pain is that noisy infant, that noisy toddler, that screaming baby, and you just can't. It, it takes so much of your focus. It's very difficult to go, okay, I've got to, I've got to focus on the purpose. The pain is screaming. The pain is, is persistent. It's loud. It's annoying. It's frustrating. But, but I've got to try to drown the pain out enough where I can focus on finding the purpose that God has in this. Paul even quotes this verse when he's speaking at the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia in Acts 13.41. We just went over this a few weeks ago. He says, Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. Now, Habakkuk is talking about the Babylonian army coming in and wiping them out. Paul is talking about the, the Savior coming. But either way, both of those, are they don't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense in the mind of Habakkuk how you're going to use this wicked, evil people to come in and punish us for, for doing wrong. It, it doesn't make sense to any of the prophets when they... Can you imagine Isaiah talking about this Messiah is going to come and he's going to be a suffering servant? He's going to be beaten beyond recognition. He's going to be, uh, his life is going to be poured out. They wouldn't make sense. Even when, when Jesus is talking to the apostles, they don't understand it. Lord, is, are you going to give the kingdom back to Israel now? He's like, how did you miss this? This is not my purpose. So, so see, God is on record for doing crazy things in ways that we can't comprehend, but He's always perfect. He always works it out. He always gets it done. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. And we've just got to find our peace in waiting for that. But time and time again, we see the children of God rebelling and sinning. And we even see it here in Habakkuk. And in Second Chronicles 36, this chapter was written around the same time as Habakkuk is writing his prophecy. And listen to what it says, because I think it speaks not only to Israel and how they live, but also to us. Second Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 14. This is lengthy, but see, I'll just stay with me. All the leaders of the priests and the people multiply their unfaithful deeds. Hello? Imitating all the detestable practices of the nations. And they defiled the Lord's temple that he had consecrated in Jerusalem. But the Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word against them by the hand of his messengers sending them time and time again, for he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept ridiculing God's messengers, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans. This is the Babylonian. 
who killed their fit young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. He had no pity on young men or young women, elderly or aged, and he handed them, over, uh, handed them all over to him. He took everything to Babylon, all the articles of God's temple, large and small, the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. Then the Chaldeans burned God's temple. They tore down Jerusalem's wall, burned all its palaces, and destroyed all its valuable articles. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until 70 years were fulfilled. That's what happened that God had told Habakkuk was coming when Habakkuk cried out and said, God, why are you allowing this injustice to go on? Here's part of the problem. Habakkuk cried out for help and God helped, but Habakkuk didn't like the way he helped. He didn't like God's methods and so he was frustrated that God would do this. God had sent natural disasters diseases and defeats along with his prophets and his people ignored it he ignored all the warnings that they just kept ignoring they, they put false gods in place rather than returning to their one true god and that's true of us if you go look at all the addictions that we deal with in life uh, pornography sex addiction uh, alcohol drugs fame popularity money all of these other things in our lives that we can become addicted to what we do is we lose satisfaction with our relationship with Christ. We lose our, our satisfaction with our Heavenly Father, and we start trying to find something else to put in that place. Here, here's the issue, and you've heard it said. It, it's kind of a cliche thing now, but it's true. The problem with every one of us is we have a God-shaped hole in our lives, and the, the, the real sick thing about us is that we try to fill that hole with everything but God. While Habakkuk was crying out to God going, I don't like your processes, we cry out to God and go, I don't like you. I'm going to pick something else. I'm going to choose something else. I'm going to let it be my God. I'm going to let this relationship, if I can just get with this girl, that'll be my, if I can just get with this guy, if I can just achieve this position, if I can get this much money, if, if, if I can get a little bit more of a high, if I can get a little bit more alcohol, a little bit more, all of this, it's always more and more and more stuff. And what we're really doing is we're just throwing stuff into a black hole until we let God fill that void. We're never going to be content. We're never going to be happy. And some of us, even when we've asked Christ to redeem us and we've, we say we've surrendered to Christ, we're still trying to keep our control. We're still trying to tell him to get in the back seat. The old bumper sticker or, or license tag that said, God is my co-pilot. Well, you're one seat off, chief. No offense, John. If we're in a plane, I hope God's flying that plane and you're, you're just holding the stick. I, I want God to be in control. I don't want to be, I don't want God to be the co-pilot. I'm not looking at him going, what do you think? I want to be like, hey, why don't you sit here? <laughs> let me get over here in this other, as a matter of fact, let me go take a nap in the back of the plane because I'm going to put my faith and trust in you and you've got it. it. It's amazing to me how many times we go through things in our lives. Me and April have talked about this often. We go through terrible hardships and then a year, two years, five years, ten years down the road, we end up talking to somebody and we get credibility, we get status in their life to speak into their life because we can identify with them. I don't recommend anybody having an alcoholic for a, for a father. I, I used to tell people I had an absentee dad. He slept 30 feet away from me. Never came to games, never took me fishing. He, 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 he wanted a drink, and that was all. He, his, his, his whole life was wrapped up in that bottle. I would not wish that on anybody, but can I tell you, 
God has redeemed that in my life so many times. I've been talking to students. I've been talking to young people, and they go, Brother Kevin, you just don't understand. My dad is an alcoholic, or my dad's, my mom's an addict. And I go, well, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Me and April went through a miscarriage. She had a miscarriage between Tyler and Lainey. It was one of the most difficult things that we've ever walked through. Um, terrible hardship for us to process all that went on there. But it's amazing how many times God has redeemed this. And April has been able to talk to ladies uh, either at her work or, or in church and say, I, I understand. I've walked that road, and I can share with you how, how I found God's peace in all of that. Again, sometimes we don't understand what he's doing, but we just have to trust it. Israel had ignored the warnings of God. Judah had ignored the warnings of God, so the Babylonians were coming. But if you really want to see how God operates, you really want to see how God can bring glory out of junk, go read Ezra and Nehemiah. <laughs> you see, we just read out of Second Chronicles, you read that, that this terrible thing happens and they, they destroy the city and the walls and they take all the stuff back. God used a pagan king to release the Jews and finance their efforts to go back and rebuild their city. That's how big our God is. God didn't use some born-again, <laughs> you know, Christ follower, some, some person who had surrendered his life to, to Yahweh. He took a pagan king and he said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to send my people back and you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay them. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are great pictures of just what God can do when we just let go of our own plans and purposes and we just trust him. We'll close it with this. I love this quote, and I've used it often, but I remember the first time I read it, how, how impactful it was for me. John Piper, he said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And I remember the first time I read that, the first time I heard it, I thought, man, that is, that's heavy, that's deep. So here, here's the problem. God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. You may be aware of three of them, and if you knew about the other 9,997, you wouldn't like them. You would fuss at God. You fuss at God over the three that you do know about. And, and we would fuss at him over the other 9,997. It's in our nature. By the way, we, we all have this to some level. We're, we're all kind of a yeah, but. Y'all know any yeah, but people? It's going to be good weather this weekend. Yeah, but it's going to rain on Monday. Hey, we're having supper over here. That, you know, yeah, but I can't eat nothing salt in it. See, that's us. God is like, look at what I'm doing in your life. And we're like, yeah, but you should have done it last week. Should have waited for next week. It's not enough. It's not. That's our nature. And we have a clear example of that here in Habakkuk 1 and 2. The reason the prophet is asking questions is that because God is doing 10,000 things in his life and he's only aware of three of them and he doesn't like them. And he's going, God, uh, injustice is going on and, and there's terrible things happening. Why are you letting it happen? He said, I'm about to take care of it. He said, well, don't do that. That's us. Paul, Paul writes in Romans 8, and, and by the way, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're dealing with some stuff you're trying to process, you're just not having a good day, can I encourage you? Go read Romans 8 and just think about the power and the authority that God has. One verse in particular says, Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. 
Can I just tell you, in the times that we have walked through over the last three years, that verse has brought me immense comfort. Just to be reminded that, yeah, I don't like what's going on. I'm frustrated. I want to fi- I'm a fixer. Uh, I've told you this before. Most of the arguments that me and April get in, she's, she's right on all of them. But most of the time when we argue, it's because she wanted to tell me something, and I thought it was a call to arms because I'm a fixer. And she'll tell me something. I go, what do you want me to do about that? She's like, nothing. So, so the past three years have been very difficult for me because I can't fix what's wrong with my daughter. I can't fix it. I've had conversations with God. I said, God, if you'll tell me who to kill, I'll start a prison ministry. (laughs) If you just tell me, hey, you're going to be Babylon today and you're going to go wipe out this person, I'll be like, all right, y'all been praying about whether or not he wanted me to start a prison ministry. Some of you boys need to wake up, make sure you ain't answered a prayer. Don't get to mess around with my daughter and be an answer to prayer. (laughs) But there's been times when I'm like, God, whatever whatever it is I can do to make this stop, Listen, I have prayed multiple times through tears, God, give this to me. Whatever it is, we, before we knew what it was, God, give it to me. Take it from her. She's, she doesn't deserve this. I deserve this. Don't let her go through this. Give it to me. I want it. Take it from her and give it to me. And then I read this, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be, be revealed to us. I just have to stop and say, God, I, that blows my mind. I have, I have seen suffering in my life. Uh, watching April's mom go through cancer, watching my dad pass away, watching all the things that have happened to us. I have seen suffering. I've seen suffering from the outside where I've watched friends of mine, close friends of mine go through terrible things and I've counseled people going through divorce. I've I've counseled people going through all kinds of problems. I have seen suffering and when I think about all the suffering that I've watched, all the pain and hardship that I've witnessed, but that's not going to compare with the glory that's going to be revealed to us God is saying, you don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do it, and you're going to have to trust me. When I get done doing it, you're going to be like, yes, Lord, it was worth it. I will tell you this again. You can interview everybody in heaven today. Not one of them will tell you that it wasn't worth it. Whatever they had to go through, I'll go through it twice. I'll go through it a hundred times, but I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. I read the end of the book, We Win. You're going to have pain. You're going to have difficulty. God has not made this earth to be perfect. But it is nothing compared to what he's going to show us in eternity. God is big enough to absorb your doubts. He's big enough to deal with your questions. Going through hardships and having doubts doesn't make you less. It makes you human. Give you these two quotes. I've used them before, but they're just so good. V. Raymond Edmonds said this, Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. And, and can I just say this? And I, I don't mean this to be mean-spirited. I just want to be honest with you. If you are a professing follower of Jesus and you're not studying this book, you are a fool. If you're a professing follower of Christ and you're not studying this book, oh, well, I can't read. I'm gonna, man, get books on tape. Get audio books. Get, get, there's apps you can listen to. You can put in your car Bluetooth and it'll read the Bible to you while you drive. And out here, you need some Bible being read in your car. Number two, if you don't follow Jesus and you're not reading this book, you are a bigger fool. At least the follower of Christ is going to heaven. 
you're on your way to hell and you won't read the instructions that will get you back on the right path and get you to glory. Some of you doubt God because you don't know God. Some of you doubt God because you've never studied his word and you've never seen him reveal himself to you through his word and through his spirit. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. While it's light, you better be in that book. Second quote, one of my favorites. Corey Ten Boom says it this way. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Here's our problem. Our propensity as human beings is that when we're riding in the train and it gets dark, we go up, 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 and we start to panic, and we start to try to do something different. Let me get out. Let me go away. i got to try something. We're going to jump. We're going to get on another train. We're going to try a different engineer. No, 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 no. When you're going through the tunnel, it's when you need to sit still. You need, to, you need to take some deep breaths, breathe in the grace that God has given you, and just say, Lord, I don't understand it, and I don't like it, but I'm going to sit, and I'm going to trust because I know that this is just a tunnel. Again, I have read the end of the book, and we win. I know that you are doing things more than I can imagine. You are, you are working in ways that I can't fathom, and I know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine. So even if I don't understand it, and even if I don't like it, I'm just going to sit in this chair, knowing that this is where you've put me, and trust that you're going to see me through to the other side. Last statement, and we're going to close. The journey will not always be easy. But the God of the journey will never, ever be absent. Would you stand with me? Probably the hardest thing about preaching a message like this is that I know some of you a little better than others. I've talked to some of you a little more than I have others. I'm aware of things that are going on inside of the body here that I can't, I can't divulge, wouldn't divulge. So my problem is when I first and writing this message I'm like oh god this is so good this is going to bless so and so I'm thinking man April needs this and I'm, I'm thinking about people and I'm thinking man this is going to be really speaking to them and here's the thing God's revealed to me over and over again uh, Kevin I'm, I'm doing things that you can't understand <laughs> it sounds like what he told Habakkuk I'm doing things that you can't comprehend when you see it I, I don't know your situation but I know this again we're all either in a storm coming out of a storm or going into a storm so wherever you are today I know that you're struggling if you're going through hardships, I'm here to tell you that God is not absent. The journey will not be easy, but the God of the journey will never be absent. Our invitation, every time we do an invitation, I believe that the gospel deserves a response. So if you need to come to Christ today, you need to come up here and make a profession of faith, you can do that. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ, you, you made a profession years ago, but you've been strayed, straying away, you're not living like you should, you can do that. If you need to join our church, you can do that. But here's specifically and intentionally what I want you to do today. I'm going to say a short prayer. At the end of that prayer, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to be honest before the Lord. And if you're struggling, if you have doubts, give them to Him. Just, just tell Him. Say, God, I, I'm struggling. I don't understand this and I don't like this, but I'm going to have faith. Increase my faith. Help me to, help me to be stronger in my faith and trust that you're going to do something more than I can imagine. You're going to get me through to the other side. If you need somebody to pray with you, you need somebody to counsel you, when I say amen, you move. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. God, the reminders that we see, we may not be dealing with Chaldeans coming to destroy our city, but we're all dealing with doubts on one, on one level or another. So God, I thank you that you're big enough to absorb that.
you're great enough to be able to help us understand you better. God, help our faith to grow. Increase our trust in you through every valley that we walk through, every hardship that we deal with. God, I pray that you would help us to know you better and to serve you more fully. God, increase our faith and trust in you today. If there's anyone here that needs to, to hear that, God, I pray that you've spoken that into their heart. I pray that you have, you have given that reassurance that you are still on the throne. Lord, move in this service as you see fit. Do what you need to do. We trust you with it in Jesus' name. Amen.